the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Talking today with author Chris Smith. He has co-authored with John Patterson a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, this breaches into so many aspects of our faith of the sustainability of same, not just our faith, but also local congregations, um, the body of Christ. And, you know, I guess in a day and an age, as we've been suggesting, Chris, where we have seen the emphasizing of um, uh, quantity over quality, this has really been uh, almost disastrous at certain levels to every aspect of, of faith within Western Christianity, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. This is really, really broadly reaching, and I mean, and honestly, it's part of the reason that I mean, one of the things that we kind of have experienced ourselves and have seen elsewhere um, is simply that uh, we tend to compartmentalize our faith. Uh, that our faith has become more and more uh, not pertinent to the rest of our life. What we do on Sunday is kind of separate a separate thing from what goes on uh in our in our home or in at our office place um whatever that may be um and, and we, we don't think that that's what uh we have been called into i mean we think that god is reconciling all things in christ uh, and that that the wisdom of the gospel is is pertinent um to our to our family life to our work life and then part of the problem is that we've kind of uh kind of fragmented home from work from church from uh from maybe other social activities or whatever but um and and those spheres of our lives don't uh interact with each other very much um and i mean part of what we're encouraging as we slow down is to to allow god to to heal some of those uh fragmentations and find ways for for our lives not to be uh, quite so fractured. And that fracture, that fragmentation, seems to be clearly an outgrowth of the emphasis on quantity over quality. I mean, let's face it, if we're left with a choice of either going deeper or going quicker, um, culture today has sort of um, programmed us. We have been, uh, uh, almost like Pavlov's dog, trained to respond to the quicker, not realizing how much we're missing in the going deeper. I mean, is it any wonder that we compartmentalize then and we relegate God to a brief hour-long experience on Sunday mornings and maybe for, uh, you know, a half hour or so uh, Wednesdays, if if he's that fortunate, because we don't see the value in the integration of our relationship with the Lord in every aspect of our life, in every day of our life, because let's face it, we've never perhaps ever seen the what that means to, to be modeled in front of us. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I think that. Uh, I mean, part of the part of the reason for that again is the the advertising culture uh, that we're in the midst of that that always uh, encourages 
encourages us to seek more, more, more. We need, we need a new car. We need a new house. We need uh, a vacation. Uh, whatever, whatever uh, the advertisers are selling. Um, but but, but the kind of the collective effect of that is always encouraging us to to desire more, more, more. And what we need, I think, is a, is a transformation of our desires, um, uh, a transformation to, to, to not desire more, but to desire to, to, to go deeper in the, the relationships that, that we already have. Well, and doesn't it become a vicious cycle, too? Because the more and more and more that takes us to a more shallower degree, it's sort of the, the quick high, the quick fix um, in life at so many levels becomes terribly unfulfilling, I would suspect, after yeah. a while. And so then you're, you're motivated to go after more because at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to, to obtain something that, that is not a product of the, the faster, the quicker, the more, but of the slow and the deliberate and the deep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that we focus on in a chapter later in the book is the, the practice of gratitude, of being thankful. And I think that's, that's one of the, the ways that God has provided for us to kind of resist uh, this or to, to, um, to start to put us on a journey toward healing and, and being transformed out of this culture that always wants more and more and more to to learn to be grateful for for the things that uh, that God has provided for us, uh, for the relationships that God has provided for us, and and the the resources that God has provided us with, uh, both as individuals and as congregations, um, and and I think if we the the greater uh, the we learn to practice thankfulness gratitude, um, I think that we'll start to to see some see some transformation. It really comes down to the sense of being grateful, which causes you to pause and look at all that is around you. What's the old phrase about stopping to smell the roses? Oh, yeah. We're we're rushing down the street and along the way. Uh, we don't have time to capture the sights nor the fragrance because we're just too busy thinking about uh, what we're doing next, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing in 20 minutes. Um, I, I guess the big question is, since that sort of manic approach to life is so inbred in so many of us. I mean, I would wonder, even as we're talking right now, and there are people that are listening to our conversation on the drive home who, even though they recognize the danger and the illegality of browsing text messages, are doing it as we speak because they just can't, simply can't wait to see what that text message might say. How, how do we get off of this roller coaster ride to pause long enough to say we need to do some serious introspection here about our priorities and where we give time? No, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, just, I mean, just that example that you gave of, of checking test messages text messages while you're driving i mean that's a that's a potential uh that has the potential of death for for you and and someone and others around you um and uh, it's interesting that the bible i mean kind of talks about uh the connection between uh the way of sin and death and uh, and and I think that that's, I mean, part of the consequences of of living too fast um, is, I mean, is ultimately uh, death. Um, and, and maybe uh, it's not 
always going to happen. Hopefully it won't always happen, but, but there's always that potential there uh, when we're trying to do too much and not being attentive uh, to what's going on around us, particularly in a culture where we like ours today, where we use heavy machinery like cars and and so forth. And I mean, there's the risk. The risk is is significantly. Well, higher. there's also, I think, a degree of risk. As I use that as an example from a spiritual standpoint, because as you talk about in the book, slow church, this culture of unreflective speed also means that we might be inclined to just kind of at the surface buy into any whim, any uh, doctrine that comes our way because it sounds okay. Or yeah, I've read a little bit of scripture that seems to be in harmony, and so we don't take the time to research. We're we're not fruit inspectors. We don't tr- test the spirits to see if they are of God. There there's so many aspects of what we are warned to do in a slow, thoughtful, deliberate fashion from a spiritual growth standpoint, from a relation with Christ standpoint, that is it any wonder that we have not only just a sloppy religion, sloppy relationships, but then uh, so often so many within the church today are just pulled to and fro at any pardon me, any whim of, of false teaching because it's a culture of unreflective speed. Sure. I mean, you go into a Christian bookstore, and then that's, that sort of sloppiness is uh, is reflected. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not going to name any particular names, uh, but but that sort of kind of. Uh, I mean, everything from prosperity gospel to uh, uh, self help sorts of stuff. I mean, it's all there, and it's all it's all really not that reflective. Um, it's just kind of a, a quick fix of what will make us feel good. If you've just tuned into our conversation, we're visiting today with Chris Smith, co-author of Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll talk a bit about what this means, how we can slow down the pace, and what the benefits can be, not only in terms of our own um, family well-being and and mental health, but ultimately for spiritual well-being and the well-being of our communities. We'll come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about slow church today, not just the book, but the entire notion. This is the the polar opposite of this uh, fast approach that we've taken to rapid growth that certainly does a lot in terms of, of sort of the quick um, flash in the pan, uh, brilliant moment uh, of success. But then, of course, leaves many questions pertaining to the sustainability of not just one's faith, but frankly, of the community, of the body of believers. And as we're learning from our guest today, co-author Chris Smith, um, quite frankly, this this rapid fast, sort of the, uh, the franchise approach to Christianity, doesn't do a lot in terms of um, spiritual depth of individuals, let alone the sustainability of of the church, and maybe therein lies the problem, that we're learning that the, the rapid results today are, in fact, at the expense of long-term sustainability. Yes, definitely, Craig. I mean, we see that, like you were saying earlier, that church plants uh, tend to have a lifespan of maybe a couple years. And also, I think part of the issue, questions of sustainability, um, one of the questions that doesn't get looked at so much uh, is, is the ways in which uh, churches move uh, from one neighborhood uh, to another, um, and what the what the impact might be of that sort of tr- 
transition uh, on the neighborhoods um, that are left. I mean, I live in an urban neighborhood in, here in Indianapolis, and we've kind of seen the effects, the sort of vacuum that's left uh, when a church uh, or any other institution of business, uh, but, but especially in this case in churches, um, when they move out of a neighborhood. Um, and uh, and it, it can be, it can be uh, pretty powerful, and it's something that churches don't think about a lot, about uh, what what has happened uh, in the places that they leave behind. Mm. So that loss of commitment to a neighborhood, and oftentimes there's a disaster left behind because then what might have been uh, the only beacon of hope in a particular community, and this certainly has been very true in a lot of inner cities, um, sure. it completely uh, collapses, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It was, it's interesting. Our church, the church I'm part of, Anglo Christian Church here in, Indiana, in the near, urban near east side of Indianapolis, uh, we're 118 years old, uh, but we've basically been in the same place uh, for for all of that history. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, at kind of a low point in the size of our congregation, the history of our congregation, uh, we ha- were faced with the decision, do we stay in this neighborhood or do we move out uh, to the suburbs where a lot of our members are? And the leaders of the church decided at that point that it was very important for us to stay. And basically, for the last 25 years or so since that decision, we've been on a journey of trying to to understand what it means for us to be a church in this place since we made a very intentional decision to stay here. A lot of times churches will move because they feel overwhelmed by many of the problems that are uh, facing a a neighborhood and, quite frankly, maybe feel ill-equipped to be able to ascertain what those problems are and to best address them. Uh, But, but, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of... What we've seen in the recent passing of Robin Williams, who is, um, because of his connection to the San Francisco Bay Area, has been quite an ongoing topic here of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Some folks might have seen um, comments made uh, the other night by David Letterman, um, who um, knew Robin early on in his career. And uh, Mr. Williams had been a guest on the Letterman show apparently about 50 times down through uh, the, the years. And at the end of his very emotional, moving tribute to him, uh, had made a remark about, well, if he only knew about how much pain Robin was in, and it dawns on me that we in the church maybe are guilty often of the same thing, that we are too busy and moving too fast to notice when others around us are hurting, the very ones that God would call upon us to bring healing to or hope to or his gospel to. And maybe, you know, what uh, what was remarked by David Letterman last night regarding Robin Williams is indicative of a place where a lot of us in the church are at today. We're just moving too fast to notice those around us that are really hurting. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think you're, you're definitely hitting on something there, Craig. Um, that, I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating to us is that, I mean, you just look at, you talk, we talked about earlier, a little bit earlier about the franchising uh, aspect of it, and you look at a McDonald's or you look at a Starbucks or a Home Depot or whatever, and those, are, those sorts of institutions look pretty much the same, whether you're in San Francisco or San Antonio or wherever else. Um, and I think that a lot of times uh, churches can be that way. They can look and feel pretty much the same wherever wherever they are. And, they, and churches have kind of become almost um, uh, unattentive to uh, to the places uh, where they exist. Um, and again, that's part of the, the sort of fragmentation uh, churches have come to see themselves as kind of part of spiritual life. Uh, not necessarily 
engaged in the life of the communities in which they exist. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think it's in that sort of engagement with the communities where we exist, where the the wisdom of the gospel is, uh, and the the call to to be peacemakers and all those other sorts of things that that we're called to in Christ. Uh, those, that's where that witness is borne out uh, in in engagement with with our neighbors. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that, that we there are many ways that we've become unaware of the the pain and suffering around us. And, you know, even closer to home, I mean, again, that, that rush means that there's a risk of well-being to family and our own mental health, our own spiritual well-being, because we're not taking the time uh, to go deep enough because uh, we're just not programmed that way. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that I don't, don't want to overstep here, but, but it's interesting to me that there's a correlation uh, between our continuing to move faster and faster and and the rise in uh, mental illness, for instance. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that they're connected, but it's interesting that uh, that they seem to uh, follow very similar uh, curves. Um, Is a lot of this also tied into not just a desire to do things faster and more instantaneous, but also coupled with this indicative of a lack of maturity that is uh, maybe as a a watchword, uh, tremendously impatient and a culture where on an increasing basis we wish to avoid not only work but any pain? I mean, it used to be, you know, a a good hard day's worth of labor Mm -hmm. where you came home with tired muscles. And, and completely beat that was you had a sense of satisfaction and reward about that and today it, it's almost as if that has shunned and so if we're not willing to to exercise our physical muscles and experience a little bit of you know stretching pain in the experience um, I wonder if that's indicative of, of the same thing when it comes to not willing being willing to spirit to exercise our spiritual muscles that we're afraid of avoiding pain in any aspect of life oh yeah absolutely I, I think that that's one of things that we talk about in the book that I mean the way of Jesus uh, is the the way of compassion I mean just the incarnation itself of Jesus coming to earth uh, was an act of compassion Jesus entered into all the pain and suffering and the joys of course too but but the pain and suffering of the human experience and that's what we're called to do uh, with one another in our church congregations and with our neighbors and I think that what we're seeing I talked a little bit before about kind of the history of industrialization and how we've become more and more uh, impatient and have more greater and greater expectations for speed. But one of the other effects of it is, like you were saying, that it, it conditions us to to want to avoid work and suffering. We look at the rise of the in the mid 20th century, the rise of the quote unquote labor saving device. Uh, and that's a wonder, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that we should not use any sort of electrical gadget or whatever. Uh, but but we do need to be aware of what what the cost of that is, and what if we're saving labor, to what end are we saving labor? Um, and and the effect of that, I believe, is exactly what you were describing. That we it, we're, we are having greater and greater difficulty entering into the the pains and sufferings of others because we've been conditioned to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. 
And, of course, the irony is that pain and suffering also translates into notions of persecution. Um, and, you know, somehow the notion that we as the church in America are uniquely um, given a pass on the idea of pain and suffering or persecution, when the Scripture, of course, doesn't say that at all. And um, there is a dynamic that speaks quite heavily to uh, that lack of being willing to to suffer for his name's sake, as Chris, Scripture calls us to, indicative, too, of this notion of kind of being uh, uh, the church that's, what's the old saying, 10 miles wide and an inch deep? Right. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, I don't think that we should necessarily seek out persecution, but I mean, I think that there are ways that our desires for comfort uh, uh, kind of compromises our willingness to, to speak the truth in, in difficult situations, uh, whether that's in the public square or in our congregations. Um, and I think that has, that has uh, ramifications. Our conversation today with Chris Smith. He is co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. If you are someone who is a uh, student of uh, everything that is fast and rapid and you wish to overemphasize a, a, a quality, quantity rather over quality, this is probably not a book for you. If, on the other hand, you're somebody who would rather not go quicker in your relationship with God but go deeper, then this indeed can be a book that can be a tremendous eye-opener, not only for your own relationship with Christ, but at the family level and at the community level. The book again, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus, newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores around the Bay Area, not in the rapid church growth section, though, I might add. (laughs) And of course, on Amazon.com. And our thanks to co-author Chris Smith for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, you know, every year during the 1st of January, so often many of us will look to resolutions. We'll promise ourselves everything from trying to get more exercise, to lose weight, to perhaps uh, be more dutiful at being involved in ministry at church, spending more time with our wife, our kids, all of these things which are certain key and important to life. But when you think about the big questions about life, one of the big questions perhaps that most of us struggle at one point or another to try to gain an answer to, and that is understanding specifically what God wants of us, through us, and in our lives. Essentially, trying to understand what is His will for my life. As we enter in this new season of new beginnings here in the typical January, learning how to reach your full potential for God. Certainly no stranger to the KFAX listeners. He is the host of In Touch, heard weekday afternoons at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And pleased to have with us today, Dr. Charles Stanley. And uh, Pastor, great to have you on the program. Well, delighted to be with you, Craig. You know, we think about, again, New Year's and new beginnings and resolutions and so forth. I can't imagine any bigger question than most of us can ask ourselves. And maybe it's one that we ask not only at the beginning of, of a new year, but at certain uh, key marks in life, be it uh, when we get married, when we retire, when we find a new job, when we perhaps are going to become a parent. And that is struggling to answer this question, learn more about what God wants of us and how to fully reach our potential for God. Well, what he wants above everything else in our life is a personal, intimate relationship with himself. Everything else he can do. But that is something we have to yield to with him. And when you think about all the ways that he works in our life, ultimately, that's his will. And so he's willing, 
because that's his purpose and his will. He's willing to do whatever's necessary in our life to enable us to develop that relationship. And when that relationship is right, everything else is going to get right because the truth is every aspect of our life flows out of and is influenced and impacted by a personal relationship with him. So when somebody says, well, I don't know the will of God for my life, you can know. Because if he has a will, he certainly isn't going to keep it a secret. He's willing to show us if we're willing to submit ourselves. And I think a lot of people want to know the will of God in order to consider it, not to do it. And God doesn't play those kind of games. You know, and it's interesting. I think about um, so many of us that as we came to Christ, if uh, perhaps a friend or a loved one uh, shared the gospel message with us. So one of the, the four key steps to salvation, understanding that God has a plan for our life. And of course, that goes beyond simply the relationship and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking in fellowship with him, but then ultimately into what it is that he wants to do in us and through us. And I found it interesting in some of your opening remarks to this Thomas Nelson book, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best. You talk about the fact that God impressed upon your heart that to understand fully what God wants to do in us and through us, you have to approach this at the get-go with a clean heart, a clear mind, and a balanced schedule. I have to tell you, those three items alone caught my attention. Well, that's the way it is. And I woke up one morning about three o'clock and out of a dead sleep, and it's like the Lord said, do you want to reach your full potential for your life? And I said, well, sure. And so I thought I didn't know what was going on, but I pulled out a pad and a pen I keep on my bed. And so as I began to just be quiet and listen, the Lord just laid out all seven of those points uh, to me very clearly. And when you think about it, I, I thought, well, now, am I sure this is of God? And I looked at him again and again, and I thought, yes, because this is the way he thinks. First of all, a clean heart and a clear mind. In other words, and a balanced schedule. That is, that he has the proper time that he needs to work in our life. And if my if my heart's not if my heart's not clean, my mind is not going to really be clear, and I'm not going to operate in my life on his schedule. And when we operate on his schedule, we can't do our best, and we won't do our best. So, so much of this really reaching our full potential in the Lord, whatever that might be. And certainly it, it's different for all of us. God gives and grants to each and every one of us different skills, talents, abilities, and, and goals. But in order to fully reach that, we really have to be walking in uh, the fullness of his fellowship then, don't we? That, that This needs to be an intimate kind of relationship with the Lord that can't be something that's just sort of approached uh, casually. Absolutely. And this is why I said in the very beginning, our personal and intimate relationship with him impacts everything. When that's right, I'm, I'm going to have a clear mind about his will for my life. I'm going to understand his schedule for my life. I'm going to have right relationships. I'm going to be willing to take risks for him. And things will fall in place. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but it means that no matter what I face, I'm going to come through it. I'm going to come through it successfully because... In order to do that, you've got to submit yourself to the will of God. And submitting yourself to the will of God isn't always easy, because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. They think, well, I want to do the will of God, but suppose he asked me to do this, or suppose he asked me to do that. Because he's a God of love, he's only going to require us what is best for us. And my unwillingness to do what he says is because I don't trust him to love me enough to just choose the best. 
I would imagine in your many, many years in pulpit ministry and as pastor, uh, this question has been brought before you time and time again, this question. Well, pastor, I just don't understand what is God's will for my life. And I would suspect then that part of this answer for a lot of people that struggle with that is the notion that they're fearful. Well, gee, you know, if I really pursue God, what if God asked me to become a missionary on the foreign mission field or or do something that I don't really feel cut out to do? Does God do things? things like that? I mean, is he is he of the character that he's going to surprise us and, and call us to do something that we're neither inclined to do or even equipped to do? There are some things he's going to do that's going to surprise us, all right, but they're coming from the perspective that, that God's motivation is judgment and punishment and testing me and trying me when God's motivation is love. Now, if he wants to send somebody to the mission field, that isn't God doing something bad for them. That's God giving them an opportunity, but it always goes back to what is my attitude toward God? In other words, do I see him as a heavenly father who loves me, who has saved me, who wants to show me his will, provide my needs, test me, try me, yes, but all of that to grow me up and become the person he wants me to be. And those periods of testing and trial are for our good. And it's interesting. I've always thought the passage of Scripture where we're reminded that God will give us the desires of our heart, but in another passage, that we are encouraged to keep our mind and our heart focused on Him. And so if we put Him first in life, and He is the central, He is our heart's desire, so to speak, that as He comes to fulfill those desires in the end, this will be something that will not only give glory to His name, but also much delight to us. And I guess in the end, when we talk about determining what He wants for us and discovering and reaching our full potential for Him, in the end becomes not only a delight for the Lord, but a delight unto us as well. And when he says if we delight ourselves in him, I think most folks don't realize that he must be central in our life. That if I'm delighting myself in him, then my decisions are going to be based always on this. What's pleasing to God? What is his will in this situation? What would he have me to do? Not what do I want to do and then want to make him fit my plan. But what do you say then, Pastor, to the person who says, but Pastor Stanley, you don't understand. I'm so average. I'm plain. There's nothing really special about me. I, I don't have the ability of, of, of great oratory skills to get on the radio or up in the pulpit and proclaim the Word of God. I, I don't have a degree in anything. I'm, I'm just kind of an average Joe. Um, how could God ever possibly use me? I think many people have asked that question. Probably everybody who's ever accomplished anything has asked that at some point. But the issue is not... Uh, comparing ourselves with others we think about what we have and don't have then we're comparing ourselves with others the question is what has God given me and what is God able to do with what he has given me and the truth is we would say well God is does the impossible but many people have problems with this because they have a poor self-image uh, they have uh, a poor uh, image of what they're capable of doing. They have lots of fears. They're, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid of what people are going to say, a criticism. And so a lot of that negative thinking is the result of their attitudes that have no real scriptural basis whatsoever. God wants the best, will provide the best. All he's looking for is submission to his will and let him decide 
what he wants to do with us. And, you know, so much of this comes back down to, I think, one of the central points when we talked earlier about a clean heart, clear mind, and a balanced schedule. That that word balance is so key to this. Uh, speaking to uh, Jim Dobson uh, on the occasion of his retirement from full-time ministry and looking back over the course of 30 years of ministry with focus on the family and, of course, the big question, could you ever have imagined in the 1970s when you began with one little radio station down in Southern California that this ministry would ever grow to the level and potential that it has to become now this international outreach? And, of course, the response, you know, if I had known what this would have grown to, I would have been scared to death and too afraid to start it. I think sometimes we need to realize that it's good if we have a sense that we aren't fully capable, that we can't do it in and all of ourselves, because if we felt otherwise, then there would be, in many levels, no sense or no need for God. Absolutely, and I think the spirit the spirit of, of inadequacy that is based on a true genuine understanding of who God is and His holiness is always healthy. And once we step out of line with that sense of personal inadequacy, uh, pride, arrogance, and everything else gets in the way, and we're not going to be able to be used by God. He's not going to use arrogance. Dr. Charles Stanley, my guest on this edition of Lifeline, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best, published by Thomas Nelson. We'll take a brief time out when we come back, learning how to move beyond the settled for life, as our conversation with Dr. Charles Stanley continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline, our conversation with Pastor Charles Stanley, host of In Touch Ministries. Of course, the program comes your way each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And more information on the web at intouch.org. And it's interesting, Pastor Stanley, I think for so many of us, as we go through certain high water marks in life, and this might be times of uh, perhaps a marriage or a divorce or death of a spouse, a loss of a job, or retiring, or even becoming a new parent, uh, these times and occasions when we struggle with the question of what does God want from us? What does he want of us? How can we reach our full potential? And then sometimes I think, unfortunately, we get we get discouraged, we get bogged down by the challenges and obstacles of life, and we end up settling for less than his very best. How can we how can we move past that settled for kind of life? What we have to do, one of the first things is this, and that is to recognize who we are from God's perspective. We are one of his children created in his image to bring him glory and honor and he's promised that he will be with us enable us encourage us provide for us no matter what in every circumstance and when i think about how many people can quote romans eight twenty eight, that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love him to those who call the code this purpose oftentimes people will quote that but they don't believe it about themselves mm. and they are willing to settle for far less because for a number of reasons, sometimes, as we said, they're fear of failure, sometimes they're just lazy. They're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to submit themselves to the Lord's way and His will in their life. And so they settle for less than that. Then they become very angry oftentimes or very discouraged and, and always want to blame it on somebody else. We have to take responsibility for our life and recognize that God is very involved in our life and that whatever our needs are, he will supply if we submit to his will and do it his way. I would imagine one of the big um, 
big obstacles to achieving that sense of, of full potential and enjoying that, that inner drive and that enthusiasm for life and, and what you do in and through the Lord is the roadblock of being unwilling to surrender fully to Him, would you think? Absolutely. I do believe that that is the major issue and that one willingness to surrender is either selfishness from our part, we want our way, or fear of what God may require of us. And oftentimes, people will head in that direction and then just begin to doubt. And they give up and just say, well, I can't do it, or who am I, as we said a few moments ago, what can I do, what has God done for me? Every person has gifts, every person has talents and abilities. Some people are willing to employ them and take the risk of failure or criticism, and some people are just not willing to do it. We talked a moment ago about some of those important life junctures, uh, and I think perhaps there are some of those high watermark points in life when it's it's always healthy to um, sort of take account of where we're at, not only in our relationship with Christ, our relationship with our children, our spouse, and to make sure that we're indeed on track for for the plan that He has for us. You know, we're told in Scripture that that He's begun a good work in us; that He will complete that through our days. But I I think it's important, perhaps, as we hit some of those important timelines in life, whether we're we're beginning out in a new marriage, maybe we've just gone through a pain of divorce through no fault of our own, and now we're struggling with that. Maybe we've lost a spouse. Is it important, Pastor Stanley, at those moments to sit down and kind of take a fresh account of not only where we're at in our relationship with him, but also to not only make sure we're on track for what he wants for us and wants to do through us, but also maybe to ask the question, maybe God wants to take us in a a different direction with new goals at those junctures? I think you're absolutely correct. And because there are situations and circumstances where we have to make changes. We have to make changes about the way we think, changes about our schedule, changes, for example, about what we think is his will and purpose and plan for our life. And those times are very, very important because so often, a person's life takes a turn uh, for the good or maybe not for the good as a result of maybe just ignoring the seriousness of the situation and leaving God out, making decisions on the basis of what seems to be right or wrong or what's the easiest way out. Very important, not only in critical junctures like that, but the truth is every day when we awaken in the morning, we ought to be saying, now, Lord, Show me your will for my life today. Make me sensitive about the people I meet. Help me to be perceptive about the things that are going on around me. And show me your will for this day, step by step. And when we're willing to do that, he's there. He's there to enable us, no matter what we're going through. And then finally, I'm wondering, Pastor Stanley, about measurement of performance. You know, uh, many of us in the workplace, uh, we will have a semi-annual or annual meetings with our immediate supervisor who will take a look at things like uh, our attendance record, how we interact with fellow employees, deal with customers and clients and things of this sort, and then help evaluate us. And we'll note the areas where we are excelling or or achieving our goals and outstanding performance, uh, areas where maybe we're just satisfactory, other areas where perhaps 
our performance is unsatisfactory. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're really hitting the mark when it comes to serving God and achieving the goals and plans that he has for our life? I think so often many of us will try to compare where we're at against other people and say, well, gee, you know, I'm I'm just a pastor of a small church and I only have 75 members in my congregation, so God must be dissatisfied with me because, gee, the pastor up the block has got 800 members. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're actually on track for what God's will is for our life? First of all, is my heart clean? Am I thinking scripturally? Am I thinking clearly? What about my schedule? What How am I spending my time? And Am I using it wisely or am I wasting time? What about my relationships? How very important they are in my life. And as a person goes down each one of these, uh, it gives them a time to think through where they are in life. And I think this has to happen many, many times in life, not just at the critical junctures, but I can think in my own life, oftentimes, right before God has uh, given me some instruction about something, uh, that to make a change, that's, I, I would have this feeling, I just need to give some time to the Lord and get in His Word and be quiet mm-hmm. and say, Lord, I want you to examine my heart. I want you to show me if there's some area here that you want to change. And if there is an area of change, and most of the time there is something going on, then he's going to show us what it is. And he's not going to show us judgmentally, but he's going to show us to encourage us and to remind us that the change that needs to take place, he will enable us to do it. In that way, we keep progressing in life no matter what. And it strikes me that it takes us back full circle to one of those key points that you talked about in the beginning of our conversation, uh, this sense of a clean heart, a clean mind, a balanced schedule, and the willingness to surrender. You know, sometimes we'll go before the Lord at one of these critical junctures or just when it's time to, to sort of refresh and renew and, and check in with God, so to speak, to make sure that we're on track. The willingness to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you and I'm going to seek your face and your answers for where I'm headed next, and I might have some thoughts and desires in my own heart to understand that I need to surrender even that, and sometimes if we if we say before the Lord, gee, God, will you do this for me or take me in this direction, that if God gives you a no answer, that that's still an answer. That's exactly right, <laughs> because his no answers are answers for our protection and for our guidance and for our good. No's are not always bad. Again, reach your full potential for God, never settle for less than his best by Thomas Nelson and the book again available at bookstores. In touch with Pastor Charles Stanley each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX and more information about both the book and Pastor Stanley's ministry on the web at intouch.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.